Hi, everyone. I'm Christina, and this is the Broke Girl Society podcast. Thank you so much for listening in. Today, Jessica H. has come on to share her experience, strength, and hope with us uh, on her recovery from problem gambling. I do want to put a trigger warning out there that she does talk about suicidal ideation and attempts, and we do talk in depth about her mental health crisis during periods of recovery from gambling harm. So I just wanted to make sure that if that's a sensitive subject for you at the moment, that you are aware that that is part of this conversation. Let me give my shout out to Gamban. They're a wonderful company. They're one of the few that support our podcasts that talk about recovery from gambling harm. They're a great company. If you or somebody you know is struggling from online gambling, go to Gamban.com, download that software, get those barriers in place to help stop the bleeding so you can start the healing. All right, let's roll on into this episode. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the Broke Girl Society podcast, Jessica. Uh, yeah, hi, I'm Jessica H. And my clean date is April 2022. I do not know my exact date. That's okay. We'll take it. We'll take April. We'll take <laughs> a month. Yeah, so that's that's quite a few months. I, I'm a little bit tired. So doing the math, is that eight months? Eight months, yeah. Yeah, great. That's Wonderful. Um, do you want to kind of give us a little backstory of like how your journey led to gambling? Yeah. And then we can just kind of go from there. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, I'm sure, I mean, it seems, it seems bizarre to me, but I think probably this happened the same way for a lot of people. Um, I was a full-time stay-at-home wife and mother. Uh, uh, we were married for 28 years in March, but um, also in March, I left him. So, um, so 28 years of marriage, stay at home, full-time stay at home wife. Um, in 2016, I discovered my husband had been unfaithful and, uh, I, what, I didn't know what to do about it. We were the perfect family. I mean, be- three beautiful children, house on a cul-de-sac on a corner lot, you know, just everything just perfect. And, uh, so there was a lot of shame that surrounded this. So I didn't talk to anybody about it. And uh, I did start going to therapy for a little bit. And uh, one night in my, uh, after I had done seeing my therapist, I went out and sat in my car and uh, proceeded uh, to, without really being aware of it, uh, take about 40 Norcos. And when I became aware that my recently filled 90 pill prescription was half empty now, uh, I went into my therapist and he called an ambulance and I was taken to a hospital and I was placed into a mental facility uh, for attempting suicide. Uh, I was placed on a variety of medications and uh, over the course of the next six years uh, through this journey, um, I would attempt suicide three more times. I was in psych hospitals more than I was out of them. I went through ECT treatment three days a week for six months. And um, I was on every possible known psychiatric medication. Uh, my meds were changed on the regular because I would not stop trying to kill myself. So one of the medications that I was put on uh, was Abilify. And I have pulled my um, pharmacy records 
from 2016 on, I used the exact same pharmacy for every medication because we lived in the same place. Very easy to get. And I can clearly line up uh, when Abilify was started and when my gambling behaviors followed. Now, let me be very clear to every gambling addict out there. I do not in any way, shape, or form believe that this in some way exempts me from being called a compulsive gambler. I am a compulsive gambler, okay? Just because the medication triggered that in me doesn't mean it wasn't there, all right? I am a compulsive gambler. Um, yeah, I agree with that as far as like, I think it can uh, definitely exemplify the the compulsive behaviors in us. Um, and I've, there's a lot of research to back that up with Ambilify and, and a few yeah. other medications. Um, but yeah, I think the internal issue is still, still yeah. there. So I, I agree well. with that. Yeah. And, um, so in 2018, uh, I came out of a residential mental health facility and, uh, I, at that point, uh, thought I had reached a place where I wasn't going to attempt suicide anymore. And, was in a really good place. And I started working because uh, my kids were older. My youngest at that point was um, 17. So, um, and my older two were, you know, I think my oldest was graduated from college and my middle was in college and this one was about to go to college. So I decided to get a job and it was just a part-time office assistant. You know, I didn't, I don't really have a lot of, I don't have a degree. Excuse me. Um, my experiences in, you know, retail management and, you know, I just, I didn't, I got, you know, I, I lived with my parents when I was 21 and then I got married and lived with my husband for 28 years and I was a stay-at-home wife and mother. I don't have a lot of experience. So went and got this office job and, uh, and, uh, first thing I did when I got my paycheck, I called my husband and I said, Hey, would you like to go meet me at the boat? I'm like, because in our life, we had enjoyed gambling as something fun and recreational. Um, we would go maybe once a year, a couple hundred bucks, special occasion. My mother, however, is also a compulsive gambler. And she would invite me sometimes to go with her, but she would give me money to come with her. But I saw my mother's behaviors. So it, it was just odd to me that when I was doing those same behaviors, I didn't recognize them as compulsive gambling. So I was comparing what I was spending to what my mother was spending and thought, there's no way I'm a compulsive gambler. Comparison will get you every time. Right. Right. I tell people all the time, don't compare our journeys. Yeah. Nope. Um, so. So I went and gambled. He, my husband did not join me on that first trip, but he said, go ahead and have fun. And I went and I blew my whole $300 paycheck. Oh, I should. I'm sorry. Cut that out. Okay. My whole paycheck. That was uh, not a lot. It was just small, but it was a lot. It was a lot for me. And I spent it. So, and my husband kind of laughed at me that I spent the whole thing and we ha ha ha. And okay, good job. Uh, but then, you know, when I got my paycheck the next week, I did the same thing. And, and then the next time I did the same thing and I can absolutely, when I was in that residential facility, show you where they started me on a bill So that made sense <laughs> that that's why that started. 
And it quickly became a problem. It escalated very quickly where I was overdrawing bank accounts and telling lies. Uh, my husband, you know, put his foot down. He said, no, it's not happening. We're not doing it. He took me to a marriage counselor. He's like, this is not okay. We're not doing it. So I went to GA. Uh, May 24th, 2019. And... Uh, Here's what I found. This was my experience with GA, okay? I, at the time, was 47 years old. And I was always, by far, the youngest person in the room. Every meeting I ever found or went to in my area, everybody was like 70. I was like, and they've all been in GA for 20 years. I had... Nobody to connect with. I had nobody. I, I mean, and they, the meetings would just be them, you know, talking about what they did with their week. I'm over here like, how, how do you not gamble? Can somebody tell me how to not gamble? And I couldn't, but I white knuckled it and I abstained uh, for about a year and a half. And, uh, Something that helped me, I believe, abstain uh, was the fact that in uh, July of 2019, I was taken off a bill file. So I abstained for a year and a half. So you were on a bill of five for four months? Uh, no, it was about a year. Oh, okay. Sorry. I got my date wrong. It was about a year. It was, I had started it in July, July of 2018 at the residential. And then in about July of 2019, um, when we like, we're doing a reevaluation, the doc, I, I like I had, there was something like I had gained weight or something and he wanted to try something. I don't remember what the symptom was, though, but it was something. And I was off of vilified. I had nothing to do with the gambling. Nobody had put two and two together that that was going on. Okay. Okay. And that was actually like, Around that time, I think if you do research, I think like 2016, 2017 is when all the lawsuits had hit um, the manufacturer of Abilify for because of the gambling that was going on. And, and they issued like a black box warning on it that year that says, hey, this can cause gambling addiction or compulsive okay. behavior, however they were. Yeah. So, uh, but I don't quote me on that research, okay? But I'm okay. sure somebody will. I'm sure somebody no will quotes. do all the research and submit it. So, go get them. <laughs> no, I think there's enough out there to know that the Ambilify and compulsive behavior is yeah go hand in hand. Yeah. So, so I abstained, and then uh, in the beginning of 2020, when this horrible COVID thing was going on. Uh, my husband and I actually were able to reconnect. We were able to come together. We started rebuilding our marriage for real, committing time to each other. Like it, it was like, man, it was like the beginning again. And we were in love, Christine. We really were. And uh, so we were going along great. And then uh, I got a new job. And it was even better because the job that I got after I went through my horrible mental health ordeal, uh, I actually made a decision to change my life and start working in mental health. And this, I had, this was, I had landed my first job in mental health 
and we had new insurance. And my old psychiatrist didn't take it, and I had to find a new psychiatrist. So in September of 2020, I went to a new psychiatrist, presented her with my history, and she decided she would like to try me on the drug Abilify. Now, I had had, I don't know if you remember me saying this, um, six months of three days a week ECT treatment. I don't know if you know what that does to your brain or your memory, but it looks like oatmeal when it's done. And uh, I did not remember that I had been on Abilify, nor was I aware that it caused gambling. So I happily accepted her new med changes. And in October of 2020, one month after starting that drug, I had a relapse. I skipped work at the behavioral health hospital that I worked at, that I loved, to sneak off to a casino in another state. Because I had banned myself from casinos in my state. And I gambled. And in January of 2021, I discovered my husband had been unfaithful to me again. And he directly blames it on my relapse. I know that's bullshit. But I'm Did you see my face? I did. Is that why you I said that? I was like, mm. <laughs> what was his, his defense or reason or whatever you want to call it is that the reason he strayed to begin with is because there were some major behavioral changes in me that he didn't understand, which we also at this time believe were related to medications that I had been put on that were for something different, not gambling or depression or anything, just health issues, medications changed my behavior. My husband turned away from me. He says that when I relapsed in that October of 2020, I reverted almost back exactly to this person that he didn't know or understand, you know, what's happening again. And uh, he thought that, you know, I had been faking it all of, 2020 when we were like enjoying our rebirth I don't know whatever whatever who cares okay we're not together anymore (laughs) but um but it's just you know it's interesting to me that he would actually name that you know like it's like man so we spent 2021 going to a marriage counselor uh while I compulsively gambled and lied and stole and blah 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 um In the end of 2021, in December of 2021, uh, unbeknownst to me, my husband had not been paying the mortgage for three years because he was trying to self-publish a comic book. And uh, the sheriff showed up at our door in December of 2021 and told me that my home of 17 years was no longer my home. Oh. And... uh, and uh, and I had just come back from a gambling binge and didn't have a dime to my name. And, uh, you know, I, my husband and I were on super thin ice and the whole world fell apart. And I had a breakdown again. And I ended up back in a mental hospital in January of 2022. Um, Can I ask, is yes. the financial the financial downfall the the loss of the house. How much of that do you give to gambling? 
or do you just give, like, did your husband handle all the finances? Uh, I'd be happy to break that down for you. It's more complex than a yes or no answer. Oh, okay. only if you want to. I was. Just I do want curious. to because if okay. it is important, I think the short answer is yes. Gambling did affect it, but I would like to tell you how. Okay. Okay. Uh, prior to me discovering my husband's infidelity um, in 2016, the original time, I handled all of the finances. I everything. Like if there was something money needed to be done, I did it. it we, I figured it out. He just went out and made it, man. He's, okay. I don't think he ever saw me. So <clears throat> in 2017 though, um, I had left him once. Uh, I had only left him for about four months and um, I had attempted suicide again and they wouldn't let me go back to living on my own. They would only release me from the hospital if I had somebody to watch me. So I went back to living with him and we ended up getting back together. Okay. But in the time that I had separated from him, he took my name off the mortgage, not the deed, but the mortgage. So <clears throat> when he stopped paying the mortgage, um, what, look, hang on, let me back up. When I went back to living with him in 2017, he started taking over the bills because he had to take them over when I left. And now I was back living with him, but he already had a new system set up and he wasn't going to, you know what I mean? It was, and I was like, yeah, out of it. Right. I was going through ECT treatments. Like I couldn't even remember what kept the lights on, let alone that you had to pay for it. Right. Plus the so, gambling um, and all that. Like it just made sense for him to just continue on. Right. Yeah. Just continue yeah. it. So when all of the notifications started rolling in about, Hey, guess what? If you don't pay your mortgage, we're going to take your house away from you. Um, I didn't see him. And, uh, I can remember opening something one time and it was something about a court docket case, something. And I, and I was like, what? I go, what is this? And he goes, oh, don't, he goes, it's, he, he, he owns an insurance agency and he has lawyers and accountants and he's, oh, all the lawyers are handling this. It's related to something with my, he was in a chapter 13 restructure or something. And I didn't say anything about it. And, uh, and the reason I didn't say anything about it, the reason I didn't push it is because I didn't want to know because what if the house was in trouble and he was going to want some of my money that I was going to gamble to pay the mortgage, right? I'm going to give up my money to pay the mortgage. That's his job. He says he's got it handled. I'm sure it's just related to the bankruptcy and I didn't push it and I didn't ask about it. And when the sheriff showed up, it was too late. And, uh. So, yes, gambling did contribute to it in that gambling told me not to worry about whether or not you're losing your house because then he might start asking you to pay the mortgage. None of my money went to bills. My money okay. went to gambling and cigarettes and, you know, whatever. And and it's also, let me also point out that I was such a great gambler that I had convinced my husband that I was no longer a compulsive gambler. And I used to get him to take me gambling at these little gambling cafes. Uh, Cause I couldn't go to the casinos cause I'm banned. I banned myself, but these little gambling, ca I'd get him to take me there like twice a week. And then I'd sneak out to him three more days a week. And uh, so he was, you know, enabling my behavior and 
you know, funding it two thirds of the time. And I wasn't giving any of my money to mortgage. And yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to hear this kind of perspective because you both from outside looking in, we're enabling yeah. each other's behaviors because yeah. um, you are enabling his as well. But I completely understand this. I connect with this really well because I am recently like on my own and, you know, I had this big change. You can see kind of the mess behind me, still boxes and stuff because I recently, <laughs> uh, recently just left my marital home and, um, you know, trying to get situated myself, but he struggled with addiction as well. Um, it was a different addiction, but it it's interesting looking back on like how I ended up here, you know, because we both enabled each other's behaviors. Yes. And then when it came time for us to separate earlier in the year, it was just like, when it came time for all that to kind of go down and those conversations started happening, it was like, he would throw out to me, well, I know when you were gambling and you did this and you did this. And it was just like this back and forth of like, well, you did this and you did this. And it was just like, we were like not getting anywhere, you know, with, with like the throwing, but I understand what you mean. Like if somebody's listening, like, how could she not ask about the bills? Well, if you think of our affected others, you know, they didn't either. And it's just like this kind of, even though it's a little bit different, it's your story and how that, that boils out. But I, I completely connect to it as far as like <laughs> enabling each other's behaviors, yes. not questioning, because then that would affect whether or not you could gamble. And that was very right. much for me. Like, I don't want him to say, no, you can't gamble um, because of this. And it's like, I didn't want to tell him he couldn't drink because his drinking enabled my gambling. So right. it's like, yeah, I, I completely get it. Sorry. I didn't mean to take you off. Track, no, but. no, no. Listen, I, listen, you're absolutely right. It, I was totally enabling this. How ridiculous is this that you like stop working at your business, your business. Okay. It's like you quit your job. Like you just stopped working at your business and uh, you're going to publish a comic book and all the residual money you're getting from the insurance stuff. Cause he get, got money on renewals, right? Cause that's how insurance works. And, uh, but he wasn't bringing any new business. So it was a stagnant income that, you know, he was funneling all into paying these artists to draw his comic book. Well, I, I got you off track a little bit when we we're talking about finances, but you talked about once the sheriff sh- showed up at your door, you, it kind of sent you in another episode of, of yes. mental, mental, yes. I don't, I, is episode the right word for that? Um, I'm sure. Do we have a mental health crisis? Mental, like, I like that better. Mental health crisis. Yeah. Yes. I, uh, yeah. and what had happened was, um, we were supposed to go out. I had got paid and we were supposed to go out to dinner and the movies, but it was like two in the afternoon and he couldn't go until five because he had something to do with the comic book. And, uh, so I made an excuse, went out, blew my whole paycheck and came back at five o'clock knowing I was supposed to be able to take him and my son to dinner and a movie. And I had no money to do it now. And I was out of excuses. H- how do you explain losing a paycheck? You know what I mean? Like whatever amount it is. I do. I know exactly what you mean. I would lose, I would lose mine and I got paid once a month. Oh, like, and I, I have, I have a, you know, good job. And so it's like, I had good income and I only get paid once a month and I would lose my paycheck. And sometimes the one, the shortest time I lost, lost my paycheck was 30 to 45 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Matt's Mm -hmm. better. (laughs) 
Yeah. And that was towards the end of my gambling career. Yeah, for sure. Like that was, I got to the point where I couldn't bet below a certain amount. It was yeah. a waste of my time. Yes. And that's, you know, that's when I should have recognized. And I think at, th- at that point I had known that, you know, things weren't right, but it still didn't impact me. But yeah, when you start thinking, well, I can't bet below a certain amount because that's just a waste of my time. Like I want the big money, but it didn't matter. I could still win the big money. And, and it would just go right back in. And it would just go right back in. So it was yeah. just like, it It just, at that point it, yeah, it just didn't matter. Yeah. I didn't care. And that's yeah. sad. So I came home from that and I sat, I was sitting in the living room at about 15 minutes before the moment, right. That was going to come when everybody was going to walk in there and be like, we're ready to go. And, uh, and I, I had a full blown panic attack. I, I mean, I, I just, my husband walked in the room and I started hyperventilating, crying, and he was trying to ask me what was wrong. And, uh, I have, a I have, I actually have very damaged vocal cords. This is not my normal voice. Uh, uh this is the voice that I got after being tubed in the back of an ambulance, you know, by a 22 year old. Mm-hmm paramedic so because mm. i stopped breathing after one of my suicide attempts um so when i cry or try to talk in a higher octave it like it, it doesn't come out it's like it's just squeaky noises is what comes out <clears throat> so he had no idea what was going on with me i'm like crying i'm hyperventilating and nothing coming out of my mouth is making any sense because and this is after the sheriff came to your door and this was a couple of the... days after the sheriff came to okay. the door um uh i yeah and uh and i finally was able to calm down enough to tell him what i had been doing i admitted to all of my gambling that i had just lost my whole paycheck that i have uh constant thoughts of suicide and that um you know i need help and i made him take me to the hospital and i spent a week in the hospital and uh Whew. All right, here we go. Here's the big, here's the big reveal coming up, Christine. Okay. While I was in the hospital, I came to the realization that I was never going to get better, that this was never going to end and that it was time, that it was time. And I had to really make a plan this time. I had to re- I, mean, I had to get it done. I was over. It was done. I couldn't live like this anymore. So I did and said whatever I had to do and say to get out of the hospital. And I made arrangements to go visit my best friend in Florida when I got out. Um, And my plan was was that uh, I was going to get all of my prescriptions and uh, drive down to see my friend in Florida, say goodbye to her. And on the way back, I would pick a random roadside motel and hope for the best. I didn't say I had it all. I, everything worked. And I got to Florida. And when I got to Florida, um, my best friend, whose name is Angel, uh, played a key part in helping me realize uh, that God is, in fact, with me. I had been raised an atheist my whole life. Um, one of the biggest things I struggled with in GA was this step one right? This higher power, right? Never had it. It was never modeled for me. I was educated about it. I know the Bible stories. I know about Jesus. I know what people believe. I, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm educated about religion. Yeah. 
Uh, but I never believed. And uh, and I did. I had some sort of epiphonic moment uh, in Florida with my best friend named Angel. Uh, and I now have this realization and understanding of God in my life. And uh, God made a couple of things very clear to me when he came to me. One of the things that he made clear to me was that if I stayed married or stayed living with or whatever with my husband, that I probably would die. He wouldn't be able to save me. It would be too much. Uh, and so uh, he promised me that he would give me the courage and strength that I needed to leave my husband if I would just take action. Uh, so I did. And uh, one of the things that I realized very quickly uh, was that I would need all of my money to be able to leave him. Uh, I would also like to point out, when I went into the hospital in January for my breakdown, they took me off Abilify. So I'm grateful that I had that in my corner. You know, that I didn't have the Abilify sort of amping up that behavior for me. Um, but I, uh, I, I did end up, uh, gathering the money that I needed and leaving my husband in March of 2022. And about a month after I left him, I was feeling very weak and very vulnerable and uh, incredibly suicidal. Um, you know, I lost, I lost I lost every dream I had. You know, we were married for 28 years. We have three kids. And we had this beautiful house that we worked so hard for. And, uh, you know, I had a dream. My grandchildren. Visiting us at that house. And it was gone. I can't get that house back. My marriage is never going to be the same. We've irreparably damaged our children. And uh, I was feeling very lost. And I convinced myself that gambling was a better choice than killing myself that night. So I emptied my bank account and went to the, you know, mile down the road to the pizza place that I knew had slot machines and sat my butt there and didn't kill myself that night and justified it because, you know, I saved my life. Okay. Um, but, uh, and, and that landed me in some, some consequences pretty quickly uh, as far as my rent and that kind of stuff. And um, uh, without gambling, I struggled mightily. Uh, with money all summer and it became obvious I was going to have to get a second job. So uh, I became a Lyft driver on top of my day job. Um, and I've just, and it's interesting for me, one thing that has helped in my recovery is the fact that, you know, I went from living with my parents for 21 years to living with my husband for 28 years. I have never had to be financially independent. 
um, it's a whole new perspective on money. Whole new perspective. Like, man, I was shopping at Target last night, and, and I, like, had so many things in my cart, and so many things went back. You know, I was like, well, you know, I need a, you know, I really would like this mocha-scented candle, but you know what? I really need toilet paper. So, I guess we're going with toilet paper because, you know, that's right. going to happen, right? It doesn't matter if it smells good or bad after. The candle's optional. I need toilet paper. <laughs> right. No, I completely get that. I'm I'm 44 and living on my own for the first time. And I was just at Target this morning and I was kind of the same. I'm like, oh, man, I really would like that silverware for my house, you know, because like I'm like basically starting from scratch. Like I look like a college kid here, you know, Um but at the same time, it's like, but I also need to get through the holidays. I need to, yeah, it's, I completely understand what you're saying. Okay. So where does that put us in your recovery journey? So that, well, I had just told about my last, which, you know, I justified is keeping me alive. And it's funny because um, uh, I have an amazing therapist and, uh, he is also uh, an addict, but alcohol, uh, but he's 20 years uh, in recovery. And, uh, and he, you know, on the first time it was obvious that I was developing a gambling habit. He was the one that convinced me to go to GA. Uh, and I didn't, you know, and I always like, we kind of go back and forth on this because he had an amazing experience in Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, life changing right and like met his wife and they have six kids and he's a you know thriving therapist and I'm like all oh, these it's amazing um and I wasn't getting that from GA and I was like you know so uh so when I had the right the the relapse and you know ended up actually coming back from Florida um I started going to mm. GA meetings again and uh, I, it was the same thing. I was going to a different place, a different, I mean, it was different people, but it was the same people, you know, they're all older than me. They've all, they're sober 20 years. They're talking about weekly events. You know, we spent more time talking about intergroup meetings and which Sunday they're going to bowl this month. Then we talked about like, these raging urges going on inside me. So I didn't get a lot out of GA, Christy. I've never worked the steps. I had a sponsor for about two weeks and he never called me and I didn't call him. And it just didn't work for me. The whole experience didn't work for me. So did you find this overwhelming urge to figure out what was going to work? 100%. Yeah. Um, Same with me. I knew after my first GA meeting that, you know, it was great to have something um, where there are people who understand what I've been through, but I knew, I knew I was, there was three men and, and me, in my first meeting, three older yeah. men who had multiple years in recovery. They were much, much older and they were kind. And yeah. it, it was what I needed in the moment to know that other people had struggled, you know, the way that I had struggled, but I just knew I was going to need more. And that said about this like part in me that was like, I need to advocate for myself. What do I need? What is going to help me? And that started my journey. Is that how you felt as well? Um, 
it's it's funny because uh, I I had actually decided that I wasn't going to ever actually reach, achieve any kind of recovery that all I could hope for was abstinence and that I would just use, I have a very sort of, uh, you know, analytical uh, OCD type of brain, right? So it's very easy for me to put together logical arguments and, uh, you know, like abide by that. Interesting. <coughs> so my newly found budget restrictions uh, were enough. And the logical argument goes something like this. Yes, you want to go gamble. Yes, there's money in your bank account. You could go gamble if you wanted to because you're independent now and you get to make all your own choices. Okay. Uh, but I heard a great phrase many years ago, Christine, that goes, you can choose your sin, but you can't choose your consequences. So I like to think about what my possible consequences might be before I choose my sin and decide if I'm willing to accept them ahead of time. And uh, so the consequences of me gambling go like this. I don't have enough money to pay my rent. They're going to non-renew my lease. I don't have any way to get any money to move anywhere. I would have to abandon my belongings and go live in a shelter or the other option Go back to my husband. Mm. You want motivation not to gamble? Go spend a weekend with my husband. And then, and then, and then, and then you know, tell yourself you have to go live with him for the rest of your life if you gamble. So that served as a motivation for me. It's the, you know, it, it, it's different for everyone, right? Some right. people may have amazing husbands that they would love to spend the rest of their lives with. They could just stop gambling. You know what I mean? It's like, it's different for everyone. I get that. But, well, I was going to say, think about the true consequences. What are the events that are going to follow you gambling? You know, is it a secret and you're going to be discovered and you're going to break trust? That's the consequence. You lose trust with your spouse, right? Uh, is it, you know, is it going to be a financial consequence? Is it, I, mean, I don't know what it is. Find out what's the consequence. Well, and I think are. it takes that. Yeah, what the consequences are. But when does it take that shift? Because before, when I was gambling, and I, you may have a better answer for this, but when I was gambling before, like the consequences didn't matter. I couldn't put myself through that thought process. No, the consequences did matter, Christine. You were just willing to accept them. Okay. Well, that's a good way to put it. That's a so good way to put it. I reached a consequence I wasn't willing to accept. Okay. That's what happened. That's the shift. But it took it took going through losing your home and your circumstance changed to really feel those consequences and really feel like I don't want to be in this place again. Okay. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I came up against the consequence. I could not accept. Okay. Okay. And so I'm making the choice not to do that sin. So when we look at like the internal issues that we have to work on, and I'm, everybody's going to be different. Everybody's journey is going to be different. There are some people who really haven't experienced severe trauma that leads to whatever their addictive behavior is. Um, but I think for most of us, we have, whether they're small traumas or big traumas. Um, when you look at like the internal stuff that, that needed some work, you know, just for your own personal mental health and, and these things, do you look at like your marriage as being an internal issue? And then like, once you took yourself out of that space or that situation with your husband, that those internal issues started to like with work started to heal. 
Um, the codependency that existed mm. between my husband and I was a huge uh, issue for my gambling. Yes. Same. Yep. So I, I'm not going to label it my marriage was the problem, but the codependency that existed between my husband and I in that marriage. Uh, I believe that's something that could be fixed with therapy. I really do. I think, you know, I mean, we're separated right now, but uh, we talk. And, you know, right now what we're doing with each other is putting together a timeline and trying to understand what happened in our marriage. Because it goes, there's so much more before the day I discovered he was cheating. Okay. There's so much more. It builds and um, builds and builds. Right. Right. It, the, 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 it was years, it was, you know, 2010 when the, the events that began, it's actually 20, 2006 when the events that set this infidelity in motion started. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so we are, you know, we're not getting back together. We're not reconciling, but we're still married. We're living separately. We're trying to understand what happened in our marriage. We're trying to understand who we've become as people because of it. And, you know, there's never a question of love between this man and I. We had a great marriage counselor in 2021. And my husband asked him one time, can you choose who you love? And without hesitating, this man goes, absolutely not. But you can choose your partner. And I was like, holy, that was like mind blowing to me. So now my husband and I are trying to get to understand what happened, why we made the choices we made. And, you know, if these are things we could accept in a partner going forward. Do you know what I mean? Like the love is there. So why not see if this person is somebody I would choose? As a yeah, partner? that sounds amazingly healthy. <laughs> And that is, that is really interesting. Cause that is not the situation for myself. Like there's, there's, we're just not there, but, um, yeah, we weren't, we were very bitter and angry with each other for a while. It, it's, yeah. yeah, we were, but I think it's interesting that you really want to try and heal what happened. You want to understand it so that you don't carry it into the next chapter. One of the things that my husband and I love the most is that we, uh, had babies. We have three sons. And, uh, and I took my job as a stay-at-home mom, very important, Christine. I mean, I raised my son, sons to be good men. Okay. Cause I knew they were going to go out mm. and find wives mm -hmm. and, you know, I want them to be decent men. And, and that's just, and so did my husband and he's an amazing father, by the way. Um, and we both agreed that, you know, just because all of our children are over the age of 21, our job as parents are done. Like, Literally, our job as parents, like, it just took on a whole new level because now we have to try to teach our kids how to adult, right? They they got they went to college, they got the jobs, they have their apartments, right? Now we have to teach them how to adult because life is about to just fucking attack them. And you got to do it in a way that they help, like, that helps them navigate the tough challenges to kind of keep from going through the same way, the same things that you guys did. Right. And you can't tell them what to do. You model what you do, right? They, they actions louder than words, right? Isn't that everyone's phrase? Actions speak louder than words. Yes, they do. So it's incredibly important to my husband and I that we understand what the outside influences were, what the inside influences were, you know, why we made the decisions we made, how it affected us and explain to our children. Love was never an issue with your dad and I. We love each other to this day.
I don't know if seeing it, understanding it and processing it will get us through it or bring us to reconciliation, but. But doing the work is going to help you regardless. Yeah. Oh, doing the work has helped me tremendously. Um, it's an interesting experience that I went through because uh, most of my friends were married stay at home moms. And now that I have gone off on this journey of working in mental health and leaving my husband, Apparently that's contagious and nobody wants to be around me. So I've lost the large majority of my friends, hmm. not lost them. I mean, we're still friends on Facebook, but you know, they don't reach out. They don't, you know, want to get together. Nobody wants to come sit in my apartment and watch the football game this week. You know what I mean? Like I have no invitations for Christmas parties or anything anywhere. Like right now, my Christmas day plan is like two hours at the nursing home with my mother. I think when we do make those changes, though, I, I connect with that as well. Like it almost it almost brings on a sense of loneliness. You know, when you when you make when you make difficult choices and difficult changes to better your life, you kind of do go through this period of isolation and loneliness, whether it's self-imposed or whether it's imposed by others. Like and I think a lot of times when I when I think of like where my friends are at, like I've lost a lot of friends in my recovery journey and it's not necessarily their choice. It wasn't always my choice. It was a little bit of both, you know, um, but, you know, I'm set in my apartment by myself thinking, you know, where are the friends that want to hang out and do those things? And I think a lot of times if I give them any credit, it's because they don't maybe know what to say because they're they're not in that position. They don't understand it. But I think, you know, the bare minimum of any friendship, if somebody's listening and they're not reaching out to somebody that's going through a hard time is just all you have to do is say, are you OK? You know, is is there anything I can do? You know, um, but I think a long time, you know, a lot of times if I want to give credit to those people is like, they just don't know what to say. And so they don't say anything at all. And if we look back through our own journeys of addiction and this troubles and things that we've been through, that's, that's the general consensus is that you don't know what to say. And so you don't say anything, whether it's to somebody else or to ourselves or, yeah. or whatever. Um, I went through a uh, horrible loneliness, couldn't sleep two hours of sleep night, nightmares, crying, just almost unable to function. But, you know, somehow you got to go to work. So you do. And uh, but I went through this horrible like I decided I was going to go online Facebook dating. Ooh, ooh, don't do that. <laughs> That's awful. Uh, that'll, that'll mess with your self-esteem real quick. Um, but I did that. I did it all through the whole summer and, uh, and it was awful because, uh, and what was happening was, um, you know, my husband has always rescued me. He's always been the one to save me. Uh, so I immediately tried to find another man to save me. And, uh, what I came through, and it's funny because I have to imagine to my therapist, I must've looked like the Tasmanian devil bouncing around a rubber room right? Like trying to get a man to like land, right? And, and and what happened, what finally happened is that I came to the realization that nobody was coming to save me. Nobody. I am alone, Christine. I am alone. Um, and so since nobody else is going to take care of me, uh, I'm going to have to take care of myself. And that started with very basic stuff. Uh, did I feed myself today? What have I fed myself? Is it enough? Uh, did I drink enough water today? 
right? Like anytime I'm like paused for a second, it's like, do I need to do something for myself? Uh, I have become very in tune with my body, listening to my body. I can give you a dozen examples, okay? But listening to my body, I, I don't eat unless I feel a hunger pain, okay? If I feel like I want to eat something, I check my body. Am I, do I, am I having a hunger pain? I'm not. Well, then maybe I just need a taste of something. So I keep stuff like chocolate-covered almonds on my table. A couple almonds gives me a good taste. I'm not really hungry. I don't need to eat, okay? But you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. So listening to my body is like number one priority. I take care of my body. I listen to my body. If my body is, I have arthritis. So if my body is hurting, Rather than retreating and laying down and resting, I've learned to get up and move my body, like oiling the joints almost, right? So, so that has been a huge part of my recovery is learning that I have to take care of myself, uh, listening to my body to accomplish that. And uh, just, uh, I mean, and it's so funny because everybody says it and you don't know it until you know it but it's one day at a time you know I'm, I'm going to leave you with one more thing because I think we're past our time but I have a very unique relationship with God uh, and I don't I believe that God has a plan and because of that I don't pray for outcomes I don't pray to get the job or not get the job right God has a plan if I'm supposed to have a job I'm going to have the job Okay, it's God's plan. I don't pray for outcomes. So as a result, what I do pray for every night is simply the strength and the courage to make it through the next day. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, well, God woke me up. Let's see if he gave me the strength to stand. And so I take the covers off and I stand up and I'm like, yep, strength there. Has he given me the courage to take the first step? Here we go. First step happens, second step happens. Well, guess we're going to keep going. We'll see when the courage runs out, you know, and it never does. It never does. He gives me the strength and the courage to get through every day, uh, you know, and I don't know if he gives me more than a day's supply or if he gives me just exactly what I need for that day. I have no idea uh, because I never ask for anything more than to get through the next day, right? Whatever the plan is, like I'm going to try to make my decisions based on what I think the plan is, okay? But um, but ultimately, it is his plan. And I just have to trust that he'll give me the courage and the strength to get through it because uh, he's brought me this far and he's put me exactly where he needs me. And when this opportunity came up and I thought I could share with somebody else or try to help somebody else who's going through this horrible gambling thing, um, you know, yes, I'm happy to tell you what I've learned, what's worked for me. Right. These are the events that happened to me. This is what I took from them. And if you can get anything out of it, I am so happy to talk to or answer questions from anyone. I'm so thankful that you're sharing your journey, that you're sharing your strength. And um, again, I appreciate your time today. Yeah. Thanks, Christine.